There we go. It's working. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name's Daniel. I'm going to bring the Bible reading to you tonight. If I get you to turn, turn to Revelation uh, chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these are the words that are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. To the thirsty I will give the water without cost from the spring of the water of life. For those who are victorious, who in, will inherit all, of the, all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice magic arts, the adulterers, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who, it, who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues came to me came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious, precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked, talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city of walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, and the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The tw twelve gates were twelve, were twelve pearls, and at each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see the temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is, is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, 
for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but those whose names are written on the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me to the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves and the tree are for, he- for the healing of the nations. No longer will, th- will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. For there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Good evening. How about I pray before we start? Uh, Heavenly Father, thanks for this opportunity that we can come tonight and open your word. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word tonight, that you'll encourage us, that you'll leave us awestruck, that you'll challenge us through your word so that we will live for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. When I watch movies or I read books, one of my favorite parts is the scene right at the end it's the happily ever after moment. Uh, it's when the plot's been resolved and things are all good again. People are happy, hugging, cheering, saying the, their goodbyes, they're having a good time. Uh, when I was in high school, I was uh, reading uh, Lord of the Rings. It's about yay thick if you've seen it before. Uh, I finished the first volume, Fellowship of the Ring, but the second part, when I got to it, it was just dead boring. It was just dialogue after dialogue. Uh, After a few pages in, I had enough. I knew no one big was going to die. I mean, there was still a thousand pages to go. Um, So what I did was I flicked through right to the end, to the last chapter. Uh, Photos got rid of the ring. Uh, Everyone's happy. They're saying their goodbyes. Uh, They're going home or going off to Elfland on the boat. Uh, It's all good. That's the happily ever after moment. Tonight we come to what I think is uh, the happily ever after moment uh, in the Bible. Uh, It's the scene right at the end. Uh, We began uh, about 10 weeks ago with the God who made everything, and we've taken a bird's eye view through the whole Bible. Uh, Next week uh, at Easter, we'll be looking quite fittingly at the cross, the God who declares the guilty just, which is the last talk in this series. Um, But tonight we get a sneak peek right at the end at how the Bible finishes and what we as Christians look forward to. The idea of the God who triumphs, it's the undercurrent of these last two chapters of the Bible. If you look back in Revelation 20, you see Satan is defeated and Jesus is on the throne. And in the passage that we look at tonight, uh, we read of God rolling up the universe and remakes it to how it's supposed to be. The language here, as in 
Revelation, it's largely symbolic. It's a vision. It's got a ton of Old Testament language, which we won't have much time tonight to look through at all. Um, This passage is really the happily ever after moment. It's the new creation. It's heaven, eternity. Do you know that God will triumph? Do you look forward to this? And do you live in light of this? In our conversations, we usually associate heaven with not doing stuff. I won't need to go to work in heaven. I won't need to do my chores or homework in heaven. You won't need to deal with your in-laws in heaven. I drove around Sydney all day yesterday. I won't need to deal with angry drivers, road rage, tolls, and speed cameras in heaven. I won't need to do this or deal with that in heaven. Well, this is true in some ways. Here in this passage, John equates uh, the new creation to a city. Not a great picture once uh, you've been to Sydney, but even a great city like Brisbane still has tolls, speed cameras, angry drivers, though not as much. But we still have traffic jams, crime, rubbish, the snaking brown river, Friday nights in the valley. But to John, the city didn't symbolize any of that. For him and the ancient world, the city was the hub of society. It was a place to know people and be known by people, to see and be seen by people. Maybe the symbol today is like Facebook. It's, it was incredibly social and relational. The people of God in the place of God in relationship with God himself. Uh, we see this in verse 3. If you read, John says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he'll dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In this new creation, in this new city, because God has triumphed, there will be unlimited intimacy with God himself. If we look forward to verse 22, there's no temple because God will physically dwell with us. This is where the Bible's going. Now, let's compare this with your quiet times of God when you read your Bible, when you pray to him. There'll be no more struggles with keeping up with your routines, no more uncertainty if God is there or not, no no more blank moments when you're not sure what God is saying. Heaven is about having the most intimate intimacy with God for eternity. If you think back to your childhood and your closest cherished moments with your parents, your most heartfelt moments with your spouse, your best friends, that time when you knew and felt God's closeness. Now multiply that feeling you had by a thousand and it still won't compare to the intimacy that we'll have with God in heaven. The city is a picture of community, the church sharing a relationship with each other and most importantly, relationship with God. Unlimited shared intimacy with our Creator. This is what God has been working towards in the Bible. Through creation, through the cross, and now in the new creation. So we can enjoy unlimited intimacy with God. So just ask you a question. Would you still want in on this new creation? Perfect relationships with each other? No work, no sin, no evil? You can eat whatever you want, do whatever you want. Would you, t- would you still take it if it was without God? I think most of us 
will take it. It's very appealing, isn't it? Have a think if you'd still want in. Because if we take heaven, new creation, without a restored relationship with God, then we've missed the point of the whole Bible. It's only when we know and see God when we can experience true satisfaction and joy. To keep intimacy, as we've just looked at, we also need to be safe. Uh, if you remember, after 9-11, uh, security became a main focus in the current world. But if you've seen the chaser's war and everything, even a bunch of ABC pranksters dressed up like Bin Laden were able to drive a van straight into a secure G20 area. Many of us will remember the nudie run, the nudie run at Origin a couple of years ago, right at the end. There will be no such problems like this in the new creation. See, no one will get in. That shouldn't be there. If we look at verse 8, no evil, no wickedness, no idolaters. All of these guys have been judged and done away with. Nobody gets in except the people of God. Nothing can spoil our intimacy with God. If you have a look at verse 12, verse 17, this city it's massive, and it's surrounded by a wall, 144 cubits high or thick. It's not really mentioned. Uh, literally, this is about 65 meters, about here to the end of the car park uh, down there. Or if you look how high, it's about 15 stories up. It's pretty thick and pretty high for a wall back then. But this is all symbolism. What it means really, is that it's a really big wall. It's big, it's wide, or it's thick enough so that we can feel secure. Check out verse 23 and verse 25. There's no night because God's glory gives light. In those days, uh, the night meant danger and wickedness. And the new creation will have none of these. It will be safe and always in the light. When God triumphs on the last day, we will have unbreachable security in eternity. Nothing can spoil our intimacy, our relationship with God. No one will get in that shouldn't be there. Nothing can penetrate the defenses. I think this is a huge comfort for us. We live in a world where sin and evil, they're almost normal and expected. Uh, we see this in the news, crime, stabbings, abductions, murders. Suffering is everywhere around us even in a country like Australia. We worry about stuff, and there's so many insecurities in life. Imagine a world with none of these problems. Do you look forward to this? Do you long for this? Because all of these things will be a thing of the past in the new creation. As we've seen in Revelation, there's a ton of images and symbols uh, in John's vision. Uh, John had this vision, and he didn't have words to describe what he saw, so he used images that people knew. So imagine if someone in Jesus' day stumbled across an iPhone 5 and decided to describe it to one of his friends. Um, it's a thin and really long, black, rectangular, shiny onyx with an indent that's circular like the sun. When my finger touches the indent, the stone becomes light, as pure as white. 
Sometimes the metal would do this by itself, and a strange sound would come like bells in the city. And there's this strange white snake that fits like woodwork onto the stone. John was trying to describe something that was so beyond his imagination. And as we look at the city that's described, it's not for us to paint a literal picture for it. They're all symbols and images. And they, in this passage, they tell us of the unparalleled completeness of this new creation. Let's have a look at the dimensions of the city from verse 12 to 21. There's 12 gates, 12 angels, 12 inscriptions, 12 foundations. It gets a bit repetitive. But 12, it points to completeness, wholeness. It's an echo of God's people around the tabernacle, God's place in the Old Testament. Then we get more 12s mentioned, verse 13 and 14, 12 tribes and 12, 12 apostles, all the people from the Old Covenant and the New Covenant together in this city as God's people. In verse 16, if we look, the city is described symbolically like a cube, 12 equal edges, 12,000 stadia in length, width, and height. Literally, it's a cube 2,200 kilometers each edge from here to Cairns in length, width, and height. Of course, it's symbolic, 12, 12, 12. Completeness, perfection, wholeness. This is the city of unparalleled completeness. Verse 19 to 21, 12 stones, 12 whopping big pearls. This city is oozing with perfection. This is creation untainted, with pre-fall qualities. And this is the eternity that we look forward to, a perfect heaven and earth, a complete gathering of God's people. It's so unthinkable, unbelievable. It's so foreign. It was to John, and it, I think it still is for us. Yet it's what we look forward to as Christians, a perfect world filled with God's people only. The God who triumphs. He promises unparalleled completeness for eternity. Not only is this new creation perfect, it's also beautiful beyond imagination. Have you seen something so beautiful that it just took your breath away? Your bride walking down the aisle, when uh, the ring when your boyfriend popped the question, a beautiful painting or sculpture, or at an art gallery or a museum, an indescribable wonder of nature. Uh, I was gobsmacked when uh, I walked out and looked and took, the, took in the wonder of the Grand Canyon. The sheer beauty, the magnitude, it just made me speechless. All I could say or think was, wow. Even my fear of heights, it took a back seat to staring out at this vast beauty of the canyon. As we read this passage, part of it's designed to make us just say, wow. And sometimes we just need to sit back and let this unimaginable beauty take our breaths away. Verse 11, if we read, the city shone like the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Verse 18, the walls, 65 meters thick, made of jasper, 
and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Can you imagine this? Verse 19, 12 stones, jasper, sapphire, agate, on and on. We're not supposed to ask which, uh, what each of these stones stand for. We're just supposed to say, wow, it's beautiful. It's going to be beautiful in heaven. And this beauty is described so casually too. Yep, these walls are made of this precious stone. Yet we use some massive pearl to make each gate. These streets are just made of gold. We have a glimpse of uh, this beauty and glory now in our world. And we find these things wonderful, beautiful, breathtaking. We as Christians, we know that this beauty is uh, from God himself and we give glory to him. But these things on earth, they also... Uh, give us a taste of what it looks like or what to expect or what to begin to imagine in the new creation. This unimaginable beauty, it's a testament to the author of beauty, the author of creation, God himself, who is triumphant in this happily ever after moment on the last day. The beauty of the new creation ultimately gives glory back to God. So all that we've seen up to now, it's kind of pointless if it doesn't last. Uh, As I said before, I was down in Sydney in the past two days, uh, and to me it was probably the perfect trip. Uh, We went down Friday Arvo, uh, got a rental car, we headed straight to Ashfield, if you don't know, it's the best Shanghai dumplings in Australia. (laughs) Then we joined up with 20,000 Asians to watch a concert of an Asian pop star that I grew up listening to. Then all day yesterday, just driving around to the best markets, food joints and dessert bars all around Sydney. To me, that was the perfect trip. It was only interrupted by two things, Sydney drivers and coming home. Have you ever been in the perfect moment, only to have someone to interrupt you when the third wheel spoils your date when Mr. or Mrs. Party Pooper comes and joins your group, uh, when it's time to go home or call it a night. As we've quickly gone through this passage, uh, we've seen that in God's new creation, uh, there's unlimited intimacy with God, there's unbreachable security from outsiders, there's unparalleled completeness in the creation, and there's unimaginable beauty which points us back to God himself. And you know what? Nothing's ever going to interrupt God's delight in us and our joy in him. Nothing's going to spoil this. Nothing will get between your relationship with God. We'll have uninterrupted joy. From this passage, there's a couple of things that are clearly missing in this new creation. Uh, One of them is the sea in verse 1. But beach lovers, you don't have to worry because it's symbolism again. The sea is where evil originates. Uh, It's where Christians are persecuted. It's a place of the dead. And it's part of creation which separates people from each other. And there'll be none of this in the new creation. There'll be nothing, nothing to wreck our enjoyment with him. Verse 4, there's no sadness in the new creation. God takes away anything that interrupts our joy with him. Death, mourning, crying, pain, it's all gone, it's all dealt with. 
It's all a thing of the past. Verse 22, if you have a look, there's no temple in the new creation. God's on the throne, and we're with him in the new creation, so no temple is needed. Christ has come. He came and died and rose again. He took away our sins. No other mediation is necessary. No other sacrifice is needed. In fact, the cube city, it's a symbol of the holy of holies. It's the only cube reference in the Old Testament. And the city, it's shaped like a cube. It's where God dwelled in the Old Testament temple. And now God dwells in this city. So in this new creation, we're always in God's presence. Uninterrupted joy. No sea, no sadness, no temple. And something that we haven't seen for a long time in the Bible pops up. Chapter 22, verse 1, if you have a look. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Verse 2. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. We haven't seen these guys since Genesis 3. In fact, in these verses we see God recreating the garden, a new garden. We're back into this pre-sin, pre-fall, perfect relationship with God. God's in the center and he gives life to all the new creation. He's triumphed. He's sitting on the throne. All people will worship him. There's no curse, no sin. And we get to what we've been waiting for since the fall. The resolution to the plot. The happily ever after moment where the Bible's been going. Chapter 22, verse 4. They will see his face. We will see his face. And they will reign with him forever. Verse 5. We're no longer cut off from God. In fact, we can't be separated from God in this new creation. We'll all have uninterrupted joy forever. God wins. God reigns. God is triumphant. So tonight we've looked at this new creation and what it looks like since God has triumphed. Intimacy with God. Security from evil. Complete and perfect. Beauty beyond imagination. And joy for eternity. This is what we look forward to as God's people. But what does it mean for us right now? Firstly, this passage gives us confidence that God will win on the last day. Uh, many of us, we're stuck in some kind of rut in our lives. We all have our own worries, struggles, and difficulties. Relationships gone sour, hate, betrayal, bad decisions haunting your life, diseases that plague you or your loved ones. We all have bad days, weeks, months, years, where things just go wrong. Financial struggles, physical, mental, emotional anguish. Amidst this ever-present reality, isn't it comforting for us to know that God will win, that Jesus is on the throne, that God will make all things new on the last day? That one day, there'll be no evil. That we'll be secure in the new creation. That it'll be whole, complete, perfect in the new creation. That our joy in God will be uninterrupted joy forever. 
if we believe God at his word, this passage assures us of God's final victory. Let's cast down our downtrodden eyes and hearts to the one who makes all things new. Let's throw ourselves into the hands of Christ who makes all this possible. Let's put our hope firmly on the God who promises that all evil and sin and death will be wiped away completely because God will win. He will triumph when it's all said and done. Secondly, this passage asks us this question. Am I in God's new creation? Are you in God's new creation? It's really great to read of this uplifting description of the new creation. But what if you're missing out? What if you weren't in? It would be just heartbreaking to be found not as part of God's people. We must live for Jesus today to enjoy eternity with him forever. Have you made a decision to live for Jesus? If you haven't, What's holding you back? Eternity is on the line with your decision. Have you considered Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross? If you have made this decision, are you living it out? There are people who call themselves Christians, but their lives look nothing like it. Uh, Maybe this vision for us, uh, it's a wake-up call to live out our faith in Jesus. We must live for Jesus today to enjoy God and his new creation for eternity. And lastly, we look forward to the best thing. Uh, John Piper, he always asks this question, what gives you the maximum joy forever? This answer to this question, it's, it's what you live for, it's what you put your energy in, what you look forward to in life. As Christians, eternal life with Jesus gives us maximum joy forever. And this is what the new creation is all about. Uninterrupted joy with God, with Jesus, for all of eternity. So as you read these verses right now, is this something that you look forward to? Does it excite you? Is this something that you long for? It's really easy to lose sight of heaven and eternity with our present pleasures, with our right here, right now issues. Let's not get so comfortable on this earthly bus stop so that we don't long for our heavenly home. I don't know about you, but when I really sit down and think about it, my life of church ministry, college studies, playing basketball and eating good food, it's so insignificant compared to what eternity holds. What about you? We look forward to unlimited intimacy that we'll have with God, the unbreachable security where there'll be no evil, no sin, no death in the new creation, the unparalleled perfection, completeness, wholeness of heaven itself, the unimaginable beauty which stems from the glory of God and the uninterrupted joy of being with God forever. We look forward to the best thing. 
Is this something that you look forward to? The Apostle John, he finishes the Bible and Revelation fittingly. He says, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we look forward to your new creation, to heaven, to eternity. Lord, we ask that you'll help us to live out our lives today, right now, in light of what we look forward to. Help us to know and to be convicted of your victory, your triumph over sin and death. Your new creation sounds so good, yet sometimes it's hard for us to really grapple with what it really holds. Lord, we ask that you'll help us with that. Lord, we thank you for the certainty that we have that Jesus is on the throne, that he's dealt with our sins. Lord, we thank you ultimately that you've triumphed, that you are our God, and that we are your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.